Hi, welcome to episode 9 of the Ops and Gyne Crick Care Podcast. Uh, so this week I'm joined by Gareth Ansell, who is one of our um, anaesthetic uh, fellows uh, here in WA, and um, he's kindly agreed to um, give us a talk on um, spina bifida and the implications of this in our um, obstetric patients. Um, so just to kick off the interview, I was going to ask uh, Gareth to um, uh, if you can give us a little bit of a um, background, where have you been, what, what sort of training have you done, and uh, how did you get interested in this topic in the first place? Hello, uh, so I'm Gareth Ansel. I've um, uh, been doing anaesthetics for five and a half years now, and I did my anaesthetics training in Auckland and before moving to Perth at the beginning of this year. Prior to doing anaesthetics, I was a neurosurgical registrar, and I worked at uh, Auckland Hospital, and I was also a neurosurgical SHO at the Royal Children's Hospital in, in Brisbane. So during that time, I, as during neurosurgery, I treated uh, patients with spina bifida, and some of these patients were having operations in the first first day or two of their life. Um, and then I encountered uh, patients with spina bifida again in my obstetric uh, practice, and so I was, I was uh, got interested with seeing these patients again. All right. Um. Another interesting point which um, Gareth um, and I discovered recently was that, uh, in fact, his father, who's an obstetrician, um, was working in the town that I was born in um, many years ago, and um, and we're not sure, but he may well have actually delivered me when I was born. So that's a really uh, interesting little bit of trivia. So uh, let's move on to the um, the topic for today. So Gareth, do you want to tell us uh, what is spina bifida? Spina bifida is a uh, condition with, uh, where, where it affects any condition which affects the midline of the back. So it's a very wide encompassing uh, disease and that often creates a lot of the difficulty in when you're going to assess someone with spina bifida what exactly that means and um, which is why um, it's very important to know exactly um, what, what the patient's uh, history and um, what operations they've had previously. Can you tell us a little bit about the classification? Because you were uh, mentioning when you um, talked to our department earlier that it's changed over the years and um, it can be quite confusing for those of us who are not really um, up to speed. So the main classification is to go is uh, whether the patient had an open or, or closed uh, spina bifida and if it's open they um, generally means they've had an operation at birth and that, that can be um, either open being the coverings of the spinal cord, um, being the meningocele, or encompassing uh, the spinal cord of the nerve roots, and there'll be a, a malar meningocele. And the closed uh, spina bifida, that can is um, can also be very wide encompassing. It can encompass anything from a vertebral arch def- defect um, to a uh, a low lying spinal cord or a tethered spinal cord. Uh, cord um, uh, Aquina, um, and and uh, why it's important to know exactly what the patient has. Yep, and so um, uh, some of that is um, a bit easier to visualise with um, some pictures. So I might actually put on the blog site a, uh, a couple of images showing the different um, 
degrees of spina bifida at birth. So I guess uh, just commenting on that, Gareth, um, the patients who have had the more severe forms have had operations and they know they've got it and they're going to tell you about it. Um, but potentially we've um, um, all looked after patients who perhaps have um, lesser degrees of spina bifida that they didn't weren't aware of and neither were we. Uh, is, that a, is that a fair comment? Yes. Up yeah. to 10% of the population will have a defect in either their uh, lumbar or sacral um, uh, bones um, and it depends on the classification where you classify these as spina bifida. The most common is of the L5 with a bit of a um, arch def defect um, for that. Okay, and so this is quite an important um, condition for us as um, obstetric anaesthetists to be aware of, isn't it? Because they um, are definitely at increased risk of certain complications, which I guess we'll go into in a minute. Um, um, so Gareth, how would you um, assess a patient that's been referred to see us uh, antenatally if uh, with spina bifida? So for assessing these patients, you do how, what you do for any patient. Uh, so you do a full anaesthetic history. Uh, and medical history. Particular points though for the spina bifida patients, um, you want to know what their current function is, if they have any weakness or, or numbness in their legs, whether they have any problems with their bowel or, or bladder function, and uh, asking them if they've had any previous surgery or not and their previous um, anaesthetic history, and getting details regarding that. Also, particular things of, of note is whether um, with the previous operations, have they had um, uh, VP shunts uh, inserted, whether they have an Arnold Chiari malformation, whether they have any allergies, particularly latex allergies, and with, with that history, um, their anaesthetic history for their intubation, because they can be uh, a more difficult intubation. After doing a complete uh, history, then you do an examination, uh, particular uh, attention to the airway, their head movement, assessing their back, if you can see any previous scars, um, any abnormalities in the curvature of the back, and looking for uh, other cutaneous signs of spina bifida, and these cutaneous signs could include pits in the skin, hair tufts, um, skin tags, or uh, patches of, uh, of vitiligo, um, may indicate uh, spina, spina bifida, and then looking at their legs, things such as uh, leg length discrepancies or discrepancies between the, between the feet can also be an indication of, uh, of spina bifida and then doing a complete uh, neurological examination. After doing that, um, you'll review the patient's uh, investigations that they've had already, particularly if they've had any previous imaging of their, of their spine um, with x-rays or MRI. Okay, um, so just a quick question about the imaging there. So uh, obviously, if someone's got a previous MRI, that's good. But what about the patient who presents and they've only they've either had no imaging or um, they tell you they've got um, spina bifida occulta and they've the, someone did a plain X-ray of their back uh, years ago when they had back pain and told them they had this. Um, what or any comments about whether or not we should be doing MRIs of these patients to see whether they have uh, you know serious things like tethered cords and that sort of thing. Yes. So can you do that full full assessment, see if there's any other findings, and also see what led up to the diagnosis of spina bifida occulta. Uh, if it's been found on the lumbar X-rays, you want to see the defects which which were found, 
present absent variable arching L5, you can be uh, pretty reassured that it's unlikely they're going to have any other abnormalities in the absence of any other signs. But there's there's always a very, very small chance, but I would not um, subject the patient through, through an MRI if they had otherwise uh, unremarkable history and examination. All right, that's great. So um, tell me a little bit more about the potential risks of doing uraxials in patients with spina bifida. So there's, so uh, if you do decide to um, go ahead, it's um, the important is deciding at which which level you want to do your uh, neuroaxial, deciding whether to go above or below the level of the defect, and that would be um, individualised to the patient. Um, there are potential risks, even in the patients who you, uh, believe that doing that level it is it's safe, they do have higher complication rates. Particular complication rates uh, that we get concerned about is um, inverted dural puncture because they, um, these patients, have, particularly if they've had previous surgery, may have an abnormal epidural space. And yep. with patients with previous surgery, they, the spinal cord or the terminal filia can be adherent to the posterior layer of the dura. So if you get a dural puncture, even if you're below the level of the spinal cord, you're more likely to cause neurological injury because it's adherent to the dura. So um, those th those are the main potential risks in terms of longer term. In terms of in the immediate, uh, immediately while you're conducting the anesthesia, things of concern is they have an increased risk of patchy block, um, particularly with the epidurals because the spread of the local anesthetic is not uniform. And also these patients can also get um, very high blocks potentially with uh, with uh, local anaesthetic so be cautious in your in your top up in case the patient's block has gone higher than you would usually expect right and so what are the what the um, anatomical things you mentioned uh, earlier was um, the core, the level the level at which the cord terminates is still, um, it's not uh, always this uh, normal in some of these patients is that right Yes, yeah, some patients the, the spinal cord can extend all the way down to S1. Okay. And I guess you wouldn't know about that unless you'd had um, some imaging on an MRI or something, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Great. All right. Um, so, uh, is there anything, any sort of take home points uh, that you want to, um, that we should emphasize to the audience um, uh, if, that they should try and remember from this uh, discussion? Yes, so there is. As with uh, all the patients, it's very important to do a, a thorough assessment. You need to individualise to the patient and balance up the risks and benefits before deciding if it's appropriate to do a neuroaxial or not. Um, a lot of vigilance in conduct, conducting the block and also when you're topping up the block, making sure you're uh, cautious with your top up so you um, avoid any, any risks. Um, and also to follow up the patients very closely, monitoring for any headaches or um, neurological um, deficits so you can treat the patients accordingly. And just uh, and always remember for these patients about the, the other potential problems with treating these patients. So if you do decide to go ahead with a, a general anaesthetic, knowing that there may potentially be um, a more difficult intubation, and also remembering um, about potential latex allergies and being uh, and wearing latex free free gloves for these patients. Okay, and uh, I guess one thing I just uh, just sprang into my mind, which maybe we didn't sort of emphasise, 
What on the imaging? What sort of things, in your mind, anyway, in your personal opinion, are sort of um, red flags that would make you very reluctant to do in, in your axial block if you um, read that on the MRI report? So uh, a tethered spinal cord, a low-lying uh, spinal cord, or and adherent to the dura, particularly in the lower lum lumbar region. Okay, and what about patients with um, Arnold Cowrie malformation? You said that's um, sometimes associated with this disease. Um, so if they've got Arnold Chiari malformation, I'd be want to be very careful because of the potential concern if you have a dural puncture, and then you um, that leakage of the CSF could put more traction on the brain, and particularly if they didn't have a shunt, this could um, uh, make them more prone to having obstruction and um, hydrocephalus. All right. Well, thanks, Gareth. I think it was a very um, uh, thorough and. Uh, a comprehensive review of um, spina bifida so um, I'm gonna I'm definitely going to try and get you to come back and give us a few more talks on some other topics in the future uh, including uh, this phenopalatine block for uh, treatment of the posterior puncture headache which um, uh, which we didn't mention uh, so if someone's has um, no epidural space in spina bifida and gets a dural puncture then uh, you might be reluctant to do an epidural blood patch as well uh, isn't that correct yes yeah all right, so we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and um, uh, look forward to the next um, uh, interview. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.opsandgynecrickcare.org where there'll be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time.